Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. Would you please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. And while you're turning, um, if I'm not mistaken, Easter is three weeks from today? Is that right? I think so. And uh, we are accumulating people who sense the movement of the Holy Spirit in their lives, and they're ready to take that step of obedience in baptism. And so if that is you, would you please contact us in the church office, and we'd love to sit down with you and have that conversation about what baptism is all about, and to be able to throw this big resurrection party on uh, April the 17th, Easter Sunday. We look forward to having lots and lots of baptisms that day. So let us know in the church office, and we'll make that happen. In recent weeks, we have discovered that 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7 is like a prism. It's like a prism which refracts love into its many different colors. And so agape love goes into the prism, and then 15 different characteristics of love come out. And it produces this beautiful rainbow. We're going to bring some conclusion to this rainbow today. And it reminds us that agape love, the kind of love that we've been talking about in the Bible, is the steady intention of the will to another's highest good. It's the steady intention of the will to another's highest good. It's not a feeling. It's not something that you fall into or fall out of. It is a matter of the will. And so would you please stand with me as we finish this section? And one last time, I read verses four through seven. I know for those of you in the sanctuary, it's like make up your mind, sit, stand, sit, stand. Um, It's good for you. It's good for you. Verses four through seven. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Would you join me in prayer? Father, what a beautiful text. What a challenging text. I know for me personally, um, as I look in the mirror of this passage, I don't always like what I see. Um, So God, we pray for your help today, that you'd continue to shine before us this beautiful rainbow of colors of the many different aspects and dimensions to agape love. And by your power, would you transform us to make us more in line with what agape love is all about. We ask for your help today in communicating truth and receiving truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, to this point we have largely learned what love is not and what love does not do. As we take a look at the text as a whole, we go back and we see love does not envy, 
It is not arrogant. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. We see that repetition and we get the idea, right? These are the things that love is not and what love does not do. But today, in verse 7, the text takes a turn. And the focus of the text becomes much more positive, highlighting what love is and what love does. And so it's an important um, correction or balance to the previous section. Um, Love is not this, it's not this. Well, today, love is and love does. Specifically, four things. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. And it endures all things. And so while, while the word not stood out to us in verses 4 through 6, the phrase all things stands out to us here in verse 7. It itself is repeated four times in just this one verse. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And this phrase all things is significant because it, it defines for us the scope of love. It defines for us the scope of love. All things tells us that love is not limited. Love is not limited to certain circumstances and certain people. Rather, love is all people all the time. Love is all people all the time. The scope of love is so great that it even and especially includes our enemies. As Jesus said in Matthew 5, 44, he said, But I say to you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you. This is without a doubt, in my mind, one of the most challenging and convicting verses in the Bible. Amen? For it is true that the natural response is to love our neighbors, to love those who like us, to love those that we get along with, to love those that we like, and then to hate our enemies. That's very, very natural. We don't even have to try in that. It's our default, and it's how the world operates. But as Christ followers and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, we are called beyond the natural response and to the supernatural, right? We don't live just like the world. We live above the world. We transcend the world because of the power of the Spirit dwelling within us. And so we are called to love all people all the time. And if that seems as if it is beyond your capability, that's okay, because it is. You are not capable of loving that way, no matter how much the pastor tries to guilt you into it, to inspire you into it, to challenge you into it. You can't do it. But the good news for us this morning is this. With God, all things are possible. Even loving all people all the time. So let's get down to the nitty-gritty of today's text and let's look at these four positive aspects of agape love, what love is and what love does. And the first of these is love bears all things. Love bears all things. And this word bears, it is very interesting, and it really kind of challenged and changed, I think, my initial understanding of this concept. The word bears comes from the Greek stego, and the noun form of stego is stege, which means a thatch or roof or covering of a building. 
Stege, the Greek noun, is a thatch or roof or covering of a building. And roofs, they come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, don't they? If you, it's interesting, if you go around the world and look at different styles of roofs, you have the most basic, which would be like a, the thatch covering of a, of a primitive hut. That's one kind of roof. To, um, how about a beautifully ornate and decorative roof like this one in China? It's amazing um, as you go around the world and see the intricacy and the artistry of construction. Or the kind of roofs which, which we are most familiar, the kind that we slept under last night, um, the, that of a standard American dwelling, right? Very practical. We've got shingles. And, but regardless of whether the roof is made out of thatch or shingles or tile or steel, what is the purpose of a roof? The purpose of a roof is to provide a covering which protects from harmful elements. It is to provide a covering which protects from harmful elements. And that's what love does. That's what love does. It provides a covering which protects others from harm. As the NIV puts it, and some of you may have an NIV Bible in your laps right now, it says, love always protects. Love always protects. The opposite of this familiar is this familiar idiom in our culture. This is the opposite of love protects. Um, to hang someone out to dry. Have you heard of that? Um, you've probably heard that saying. Well, what does it mean to hang someone out to dry? Well, it means um, to leave someone or something behind, to be abandoned, especially at a moment or time of difficulty. That's what it means to hang someone out to dry, to leave someone or something behind, to be abandoned, especially at a moment or time of difficulty. Here's a very vivid Old Testament example of Noah in the book of Genesis. Kind of a bizarre story, so hold your hats, okay? You remember that God brought Noah and his family through the flood in the ark that Noah built. We're very familiar with that story. But then on the heels of that, there is this quirky little account in Genesis 9 where it says, in verse 18, the sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it over the, both, on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. Don't you love the brutal honesty of the Bible, right? It's like if somebody were making up a spiritual text, this is not in there, all right? This is not in there. One son of Noah, Ham, he exposed his father to embarrassment and to shame, leaving him hung out to dry. While the other sons, Shem and Japheth, they literally covered Noah's shame like a roof, sheltering him from any further embarrassment. Well, when Noah awoke and he heard about the actions of his sons, he cursed Ham, and he blessed Shem and Japheth, the two sons who put into practice the principle that love bears all things, it covers, it protects, 
I believe the way that God covered the shame of Adam and Eve with animal skins when they sinned, and the way that He ultimately covers the sins of humanity with the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. As it says in Psalm 32.1, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, reminding us that love bears all things. But unfortunately, we tend to be like Noah's son Ham. And what I mean by that is we tend to take pleasure in the demise of others. And a lot of times it's not even visible, but it's internal and it's hidden and it's dark and it's insidious, but it's true. And then in our worst moments, we even take some pleasure in broadcasting the failures of others. We see this in kids, don't we? Um, from day one, they have this ability um, when, with speech to tattle, to tell on others, to tell what other kids are doing wrong. It comes naturally to them to make other kids look, look bad and make themselves look good. This is captured by the title of this children's book that I came across, um, A Bad Case of Tattle Tongue. But church, tragically, tattle tongue is not limited to kids, is it? Far too many of us never grow beyond telling on others and taking pleasure in gossip and broadcasting the failures of others. Perhaps we can even do so under the pretense, so it's a prayer request. But that isn't love. It's hanging someone out to dry. In contrast, love doesn't broadcast another's problems to everyone. Love doesn't run down others with jokes, sarcasm, or put-downs. Love defends the character of the other person as much as possible within limits of truth. Love won't lie about weaknesses, but neither will it deliberately expose and emphasize them. Love protects. But here's a potential problem. 1 Timothy 5.20, the Apostle Paul seems to contradict himself, for he says in 1 Timothy 5.20, he says, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. What do we do with that? On one hand, Paul writes that love, is, love um, protects all things, but here we read, we are to rebuke in the presence of all. Is Paul being inconsistent? On, on one hand, we're to be like a roof and cover. On the other hand, we are to expose and rebuke in the presence of all. And what about when someone crosses the line and commits a crime? Are we supposed to cover that? The truth of the matter is that there have been churches who have very publicly lost their credibility in the community and in the world because they have covered up crimes, abuse, that took place within their walls. And that is clearly not the point of love bears all things. Rather, there will be times when the loving thing to do is to confront publicly. What are those times? Well, I think first and foremost, there, it, the time... It, it, when a crime has been committed is a time when the loving thing to do is to confront publicly. Our God does not love, does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Our God is a God of justice. 
When a crime has been committed, it must be dealt with according to justice and the justice system. I think it's also true when the nature of the sin impacts the congregation as a whole. But even then, in those cases, we must do all that we can to love the guilty party as God has loved us. See, the the point of bearing all things is not to conceal sin, but rather it is to protect as much as possible the dignity of the sinner. Sin must be dealt with, but it must be dealt with in love. So as the beam of agape love passes through the prism, we find that love bears all things. It is like a roof that protects others from harm. Next, love believes all things. Love believes all things. Things. Now, does that mean that we should believe something like 2 plus 2 equals 5? If love believes all things, do we believe that? Of course not. For as we saw last week, love rejoices with the truth. But what love does do is to give the benefit of the doubt until the fact should prove otherwise. What love does do is to give the benefit of the doubt until the facts should prove otherwise. In our legal system, what is this called? Innocent until proven guilty? That is very consistent with the idea that love believes all things. For love compels us to think the best of others and not the worst. And boy, in our world today, that's a radical concept, is it not? To to think the best of others? What are we so quick to do? We're quick to think the worst of others and to assign to them motives and hearts that we don't really even know what they are, but we assume the worst. We are so quick to judge and convict people, especially in the court of public opinion or even social media. Case in point, um, anybody recognize this guy? Uh, Richard Jewell. Remember his story? He was the security guard at Centennial Park during the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta, and he discovered a backpack that contained three pipe bombs, and he helped to evacuate the area before the bomb exploded. And unfortunately, after the event and a rush to judgment, Jewel was actually suspected of the crime, and he had to undergo 88 days of trial by media until he was finally cleared. But by that point, so much damage had already been done to his name and his reputation, and it ends being a very sad, sad story of a man's character literally being assassinated. In contrast, what love does do is give the benefit of the doubt until the facts should prove otherwise, innocent until proven guilty. Another example of the failure to love in this way is the treatment of Job by his friends. Uh, You remember that uh, Job had most of his earthly comfort stripped away, his home, his family, his health, his wealth. And to what conclusion did Job's friends ultimately jump? Must be because of Job's sin. Job, what did you do to deserve this? You must have done something, Job, Clearly, Job's friends did not believe all things. They did not give the benefit of the doubt or believe the best about him. Job was not innocent until proven guilty. Now, does this mean that we should bury our heads in the sand and maybe be like these, uh, these monkeys that we're going to see on the screen? 
the whole idea of see no evil, hear no evil, oblivious to truth and to reality. That's not the idea, but rather love bears all things is not a call to be gullible and undiscerning, but it is a call to give the benefit of the doubt until the facts should prove otherwise. So, as the beam of agape love passes through the prism, we learn that love bears all things, love believes all things, it thinks the best of others and not the worst. Next, love hopes all things. Love hopes all things. Simply put, love is not pessimistic, but shows a godly optimism. Supernatural love does not have a negative and critical spirit, but it is always positive and hopeful. That's a good, good word for us today. Um, There's such a beautiful example of love hopes all things in the story, the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. Jesus tells the story, He said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, give me the share of property that is coming to me, and he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, I love that that phrase, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as you would one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him, And kissed him. I want to reiterate that phrase, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Now, how exactly could the father have seen his son while he was still a long way off? I think the only plausible answer is that the father was actively looking for his son, expectantly continually, hopefully. Why? Because love hopes all things. Accordingly, Christians ought to be, am I, am I not mistaken, the most positive, optimistic people on the planet. Why? Because we serve a risen Savior who is alive and who is continually working all things for our good. And he is coming again to take us to be with him forever and ever. And with this in mind, how could we possibly ever be negative, critical, grumpy people unless our minds are truly set on things of earth and not on heavenly things? To be critical and grumpy and negative and to be defined that way, to be known that way, that kind of behavior is a terrible offense against God who loves us, who gave his son for us and daily sustains us by 
His grace. But that's not to say that we are to deny our pain or our grief. We are not to deny our pain or our grief. After all, when Jesus was confronted by the death of his friend Lazarus, what did he do? Jesus wept. That's the shortest verse in the Bible. I would argue it's one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. And so should we weep when we experience heartache and pain, knowing that God himself wept, And therefore, he understands. But after weeping, and even in the midst of our weeping, the focus of Jesus turned to resurrection. And even identifying himself as the resurrection and the life. And when we belong to the God of resurrection, there's always hope. There's always, that's what Easter is all about. That's what we're going to celebrate specifically on April 17th. That with the God of resurrection, there is always hope. There is nothing too difficult for God. Meaning that in our pain, we are able to be, as it says in 2 Corinthians 6.10, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. How do those go together? As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. It means that we don't deny our pain. We weep as Jesus wept, but we view even our pain through the lens of resurrection, which enables us to love, in love, to hope all things. Even like that father of the prodigal son, hoping, expecting, waiting, looking. So as the light of agape love passes through the prism, we see that love bears all things, it believes all things, love hopes all things, and next we see that love endures all things, endures all things. This comes from the Greek hupomeno. It is actually a military term used of an army's holding a vital position at all costs. Hupomeno, a military term used of an army's holding a vital position at all costs. And it makes me think of this guy. Right? Vladimir Zelensky and the Ukrainian people. If you want an example of people who are holding on to their country, fighting for it at all costs, Here in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, the Apostle Paul says that's what love does. That's what love does. Love fights to the very end, remaining steadfast in the face of unpleasant circumstances. It will fight for the other person. It will fight for the relationship. What do our traditional wedding vows say? Many of you recited these at your wedding. For better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. That's hupomeno. That's love that endures all things and fights to the very end, even death. As one example in the Bible, I think of Stephen in the New Testament who literally loved to the end even his enemies. As it says in Acts 7.59, As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Again, loving to the very end 
even your enemies who are stoning you. Such a beautiful example of how love endures all things. Another is Jesus in John 13, where it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, what does it say? He loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper and laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And that includes even the feet of Judas Iscariot his betrayer. Truly, Jesus loved even Judas to the end, demonstrating the fact that love endures all things. So, as the light of agape love passes through the prism, we see that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Let's now finish by asking the question of application How should we then live? Four things, one from each of these colors of agape love. The first is, be a roof. Be a roof. And again, what is the purpose of a roof? To provide a covering which protects from harmful events. Rather than be one who exposes the shame of others and hangs them out to dry, gossiping with a tattling tongue, be one who loves through protecting. And part of that protecting is to stand up to those who gossip, to say, enough. That is not love. That is not how we operate in the body of Christ. As it says in Proverbs 10:12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. And in 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of of sins. And if you have been one guilty of gossiping, having a tattling tongue, repent. It's sin. It separates you from God. It's not just a character flaw. It's sin. And ask God to give you a love for others, even your enemies that bears all things. Second, don't stop believing. Like the old Journey song, right? Well, what are we supposed to believe? The best about others and not the worst. Remember, what love does do is to give the benefit of the doubt until the facts should prove otherwise. We are to believe that others are innocent until proven guilty. We are not to rush to judgment, as was the case with Richard Jewell and with Job. Love believes all things. I wonder, when you think about others... What is your default? What is your initial thought? Is that, oh, I'm, I assume a false motive. I assume that they have a darkened heart. I assume that they're out to get me. Love believes all things. Third, keep looking. Keep looking. Like the father in the story of the prodigal son who was so full of hope and expectancy that he went out and he searched continually for his son to come home. 
And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. Actively, expectantly, hopefully, viewing all of life, even our hardships, even our disappointments, through the lens of our omnipotent God and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And with that mindset that nothing is impossible for God, even the return of the prodigal, and I know in our congregation there are many of you who are waiting for the return of a prodigal. We are with you, we love you, we pray with you, we look expectantly for that return of the prodigal. Fourth, fight like a Ukrainian, and I've got a typo there, don't I? Fight like a Ukrainian to the very end for others and for relationships, for marriages, for spouses, for children, and even for our enemies. The way that Stephen did, and the way that Jesus did. It's, it's been interesting for me the last several weeks to be preaching on this, and as I talked about in my opening prayer, to, um, to look at myself in the mirror and just to come to the, ooh, that's not good. It was, I'll just, Christy will kill me for sharing this probably, but whatever. Um, we went away last weekend for um, a week late celebrating her birthday, and uh, so we went to Traverse City Sunday night, Monday night, came back Tuesday morning, and it just didn't go well. We were just very annoyed with each other, and I just, uh, I share that with you just so that you understand that, um, yeah, we go through it too, um, but again, it's, it's interesting. I think part of it maybe being just the realization of the, the high calling that we've been given when it comes to love, and um, I struggle with it too. And so this prayer here, some of the language in it may uh, sound harsh, but I think it's real. I'm going to close with this from Pastor Ray Pritchard, and he says this, how can we live this way? How can we truly love without envy, without a quick temper, without seeking our own interests, and without thinking evil of others? The answer is we can't. In ourselves, we have no power to live this way. That's why it doesn't work to say, let's, let's give it the old college try and really go out there and love everyone we meet. We will never talk ourselves into loving like this. And the sooner we admit that fact, the better off we'll be. This isn't some kind of rah-rah competition where we try to prove our love by our enthusiasm. Sooner or later, we have to get down to the bottom of things and admit the truth. Oh God... I hate my husband. I hate my wife. I can't stand my children. My parents are driving me nuts. I hate the people I work with, and I don't like the folks at church. I don't love my neighbors, and I can barely stand to see my own family. Oh, God, help me. I don't love anyone right now. And even though no one else knows it or sees it, I'm an angry person filled with bad thoughts and completely lacking in any kind of love. If you don't help me, I will never love anyone because I know I can't change the way I am. Lord God, please help me. Change me. Let your love flow through me. If you want me to love others, you're going to have to do it through me because I can't do it myself. That's 
the kind of prayer God loves to answer. And so, Father, we echo that prayer. We admit our weakness, our fleshliness, our sinfulness, and the fact that if we are going to rise to the high standard of love in 1 Corinthians 13, it is only by your Spirit. And so, Father, we confess our lovelessness. We confess the fact that we desperately, desperately need you. And God, I pray, especially um, in that last point this morning where it talked about love endures and about fighting for others and fighting for relationships. God, I pray for marriages this morning where um, the fight was given up a while back. And God, I pray that you would reignite by the power of your Holy Spirit a desire by husbands and wives to fight for their marriage the way that we see Ukrainians fighting for their country. Far be it, God, for those of the world to fight for things with more passion and zeal than we would fight for the things of the kingdom. But again, God, not by our might, but by your power and your strength and your spirit. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.